Well, good morning. All right, good to hear it, good to hear it. Uh, my name is Ben Biles. I'm the College and Young Singles Director here at the Ridge, and it's a pleasure to be here with you guys speaking today. And I don't know about you, but you know, as we go around our life, it's our everyday life, we're trying to be like normal people, we're trying to fit in, but often these little moments of awkwardness, these little moments of embarrassment tend to slip in, uh, and in these moments, are moments in which we don't know the exact way to respond to a certain situation, right? So see if you can relate to some of these. So imagine that you're, you're walking down the street, right? You're just doing your thing, walking like a normal person, and suddenly you see someone from across the way and they're waving at you. And you think to yourself, you know, I've never, I don't know this person, I've never seen this person, but they're waving right at me, I can tell. Their eyes are locked onto me, and I know that the right response is to wave back. So you start waving back, and then you get that tingling feeling behind, that like someone's behind you, right? Someone, someone's behind you, so you look, look around, and you realize there's another person waving, you're like, this doesn't sound right. And you realize, wait a minute, they're not waving at me, they're waving at them. And so you try to recover by doing one of those, yeah, just fixing my hair kind of thing, casual. All right, or maybe it's like when you see your friend, you haven't seen him in a while, and you know, uh, when you see your friend, you know that some kind of physical touch exchange is gonna go down, like you got three options. Option one, you got a regular just handshake. Option two, you got fist bump, or option three, you got hug. And you can't, like, you're going in, you're like, I don't know which one to choose, and you kinda do all three, and so it's like a handshake, fist, hug, bump, right? And you just kinda end up like with a body shake of some kind. It's awkward for everybody. Or, or one of my personal favorites that happens way too often is when you're eating at a restaurant and the waiter brings you your food and he says, enjoy your meal. And you say, you too. <laughs> whenever you have a meal or if you eat, you know, like just whenever, yeah, yeah, it's, time's irrelevant. You just, you too, you know, because that usually works <laughs> with other things, but not so much there. All right, these moments usually occur and these casual interactions, but sometimes they even happen in romantic relationships. Like for example, let's say you're, you've been dating this guy for a while, and you know, things are going well, right? but you're not too sure, like they're starting to get that serious moment, but you're not quite sure about this guy, and then he drops those three words that change everything. Like in this TV show, New Girl, it happens to Jess. Let's watch this. Unbelievable. Hey, look, I'm in a limo. I wish I had really long legs so I could stretch about the length of a limo. Well, have fun. I love you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Handguns usually work, right? But granted, even just saying thank you would have been an awkward response to that. <laughs> the truth is that we don't always know the right way to respond in certain situations, socially or whatever. But when it comes to God, right, it can be even more confusing, right? Uh, how do we talk to God? Like, we're new Christians, we're new believers, we're just discovering more about this faith, and we started to ask questions like, hey, how do we talk to God? Like, what do we say? Can we, can we pray for, can we really pray for anything? Like, like, dear God, like you're a good and merciful God and full of kindness, so please, please just let the Mountaineers win today. Like, just come on, go team, amen, right? Just kind of throwing a hopeful prayer up there. Or maybe the question is, how do we worship God? 
Like, I'm, I'm trying to imagine like if someone spent uh, all their time exclusively reading the Old Testament, this person would assume that when you go to church, you bring a goat with you, right? Or a bull or a lamb, some kind of animal. But I'm looking out there in the audience, I don't see any of these, right? I don't see any animals out there. Well, there's a guy over there. Well, anyways. Um, point is, things change, right? How we worship, it's changing. How do, we, how do we know what's right? Or sometimes we wonder, what kind of life should I be living? I mean, what exactly does holy and righteous living mean? How do I even do that? Like, I know, like, monks used to be a thing, but it's time to, like, disappear. I don't know what happened to them. But the truth is, hey, the Bible has given us a lot of things that, that God has done, a lot of things God has said, and a lot of things he's revealed about himself. And the question becomes, so how do we respond to him? How do we best respond to God and the things he does, the things he commands? Well, today we're continuing in our series, Down to Earth, and we've been talking about the fact that Jesus came down to earth, but in a semi-surprising thing. It's not like he came down here and just fully appeared as a man, like he just showed up, it's like, boom, let's go, let's do this, all right? He came as a baby. He started off like we all start off, as a human child, and ultimately this shows us the humility of God, right? That he would condescend, that he would become an innocent right, child, vulnerable to the world. And he's not born into privilege or wealth or comfort, but into the most humbling of circumstances. And as we look at the Christmas story in Luke 2, we're going to talk about a group of shepherds, all right? The first Noel, right? Uh, and the angels appear to these guys and they bring this message, this incredible message about the birth of the Savior. And we see that they respond to God in all the right ways, all right? They respond with humility, they respond with action, and then they respond with worship, all right? Humility, action, and worship. Now, if you've ever read the Christmas story before, there are certain elements you tend to expect, right? Or even if you've just seen a nativity scene, you know the characters involved with this. So we got a picture up here, pretty typical, right? Nativity scene, you got Mary, Joseph, you got Jesus in the manger, there's a few magi around there like we talked about last week. Um, some shepherds maybe in the picture, maybe not. Uh, and then my favorite part is you got all these animals who just like seem to know what's going on. Like with Jesus, it's like, oh yeah, is that the Son of God? All right, cool. All right, not at all wondering why there's not food and there's a baby instead. Like they're totally down and with it. But all these characters are all present here at one point or another for the coming of the Son of God, the promised Messiah of Israel. And that's the Christmas story we expect when we come to this holiday season. But anyone living in ancient Israel hearing this story for the first time would have never, ever expected it to turn out the way it did, right? 
Uh, I mean, look at it like this. If someone told you that the Son of God was gonna come down as a baby, he was gonna come down, uh, become a man, you wouldn't expect Magi, you wouldn't expect the foreign wise men or whatever to come, you wouldn't expect the shepherds, you wouldn't even expect animals. What you would expect are priests, you would expect spiritual people, you'd expect rabbis, you'd expect religious leaders, you'd expect kings, you'd expect all these high-tier people there present for the birth of the Son of God. But as it is, not a single Jewish religious leader or priest or rabbi is there. Not a single one, right? Bethlehem is just a few miles away from Jerusalem and nobody, none of them even know. They have no idea. You also might expect the Son of God to be born into something of a palace or maybe a temple, right? Or something better than a manger. You'd expect him to be born into highest privilege and honor. You'd almost expect royal power and this, this huge celebration with the greatest food, the greatest drinks, the greatest party, this huge feast where a whole nation is coming together, worshiping and glorifying God. But what you get instead is this humble cast in a very silent night. All right, you get something much different than what you expect because God rarely moves in ways that we expect. And a lot of you know that firsthand. But this story would make you ask, what's going on? Like, what is God doing? And so we're gonna pick up the story in Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight. It says this, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and laying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to people he favors. And so if you're reading through Luke, starting from the beginning, you'd actually notice that this is the third time in which an angel has shown up out of nowhere, appeared to a person and terrified them with his presence and then said, don't be afraid. And then continue to reveal the next step in God's plan for the salvation of humanity, all right? And of all the people that God could send an angel to, he picks a few shepherds. Completely unexpected. I mean, these are guys that obviously spend all their time shepherding sheep, right? They are with the sheep in the pasture, right? Not always even their own sheep. A lot of times they just looked after other people's sheep that truly owned them, all right? They're staying out in fields, they're dirty, they smell bad from being outside. And I don't know about you, but at least when I tend to visualize what a shepherd looks like, right, I usually think of like a kid's book. And in that kid's book, you see like this, this, this guy and he's smiling and you know, all of his, he's wearing like pure white clothes and right, he's well-groomed, has a really nice beard going on and he has that shepherd staff in one hand and that baby lamb in the other one and he's just smiling at it, 
really caring way. Google it, like I promise you it'll be every picture. Uh, I did it last night, it's true. All right, so this is, this is what I imagine, I don't know about you, this is what I imagine to think of shepherd. And even throughout scripture, you get different main characters who are also shepherds. You got Abel, you have Moses, you have David, you got Amos, and even Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. But before you go on thinking that shepherds are the standard of good morality, that they're a type of good morality, or think even, hey, why wouldn't I trust this shepherd? I mean, look at the way he's holding that lamb. Who wouldn't trust him, right? Why he looks so nice. Robert, uh, actually, shepherds didn't have a great reputation, and Robert Stein writes this about him. He says this, one should not romanticize the occupation of shepherds. And general shepherds were dishonest and unclean according to the standards of the law. They represent the outcasts and sinners for whom Jesus came. And such outcasts were the first recipients of the good news. And I'm just, I'm reading that, I'm trying to imagine a way in which a shepherd could be dishonest. Like, is he lying about how much sheep he has? I'm not sure. But what's interesting is that because shepherds were unclean according to the standards of the law, they are not allowed in the temple to worship meaning that these guys are not religious at all, right? They don't go worship God, they're not religious, they're not worthy of this message. But this position of shepherd is usually for people who can't do much else, right? They're not very talented, they're not born into privilege, they didn't do good in school, they don't have a lot of other options. Bottom line, these guys didn't have much going for them at all. But the angel appears to these various shepherds with this incredible message of the birth of the savior of the world, right? The Christ, the Messiah, and behind them is or behind the angel is shining the glory of the Lord, present for this message, and you can see the visible presence of God, representative of his holiness and his righteousness, shining around these angels, and in this light, you would feel the holiness of God. So imagine you are one of those shepherds and you're chilling with your sheep, right? You're looking out, making sure no one's getting away, looking for wolves, it's dark, getting a little tired. And then out of nowhere, an angel appears and the glory of the Lord shines in the darkness. Maybe something like this, all right? But this is so little compared to the glory of God, right? There's no holy feeling coming out of this light behind me. And even so, you know, this is just a little bit of light compared to the awesome glory of the Lord. This is pale in comparison. But in front of this, right, the shepherds are terrified. They weren't used to electricity. They didn't you know, see this all the time. So lights coming out of the darkness, out of nowhere, suddenly showing up. It's a terrifying moment. And I guarantee you'd be terrified as well. But to put this moment in context, for more than 500 years, the nation Israel had been without the visible sign of God's presence among us people. And now the glory for which Israel had waited was revealed to the shepherds in the field, not to the priests in the temple. So before you go on assuming that the glory of the Lord shows up often, it had been 500 years before they had seen it last, right? And now it shows up to shepherds. Strange, so why does God do this? Why does he reveal his glory? 
and the gospel message to a random group of shepherds. Well, to put it in perspective, imagine that you have some really, really great news, right? And you, you're wanting to share it, or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's that uh, you have been interviewing for months and months for this job, it's your dream job, you've wanted it for so long, and you finally got the call that you got it. Right, that's great news. Or maybe it's that you've been struggling all semester to pass Kim 101 and you finally got your grades back and guess what, you did it. Or maybe it's that you, know, you finally got engaged and you're so excited to be married. Or maybe it's even that, you're gonna have a baby. All these great, great things. News that you wanna share. Right, and imagine you have that news and you're like, I need to tell somebody, someone needs to know. And so you go outside and you tell your mailman. And that's it. Just Billy, okay? You know, you would never do that. I mean, unless you got some like super amazing mailman, right? I'm sure there's great mail people in the audience. Oh, you're doing a great job. But chances are, you know, you with this information, you're gonna tell your mom, you're gonna tell your husband, you're gonna tell your best friend, you're gonna be telling somebody that's been supporting you, that's been encouraging you, that's been with you throughout the entire process. So to tell someone random like your mailman, what are you doing, why, like, what? why are you doing that? And so when it comes to God having this incredible news, he tells a group of shepherds, a group of shepherds. But I know with 100% certainty, this is not an accident. Like the angels got the wrong address, they went to the wrong people, right? They told them and they go back to heaven like, oh, not the shepherds, I didn't know, they kinda looked cool. Like, Instead, God is showing us something. He's showing us that the gospel message isn't only for those that have made it in life. It isn't geared towards the wealthy, isn't geared towards the intelligent. It isn't even geared specifically towards the spiritual, the most spiritual. We see this first in the fact that the angels aren't showing up in the temple, they're not showing up in the palace, but they're showing up in the fields. And they're telling a group of shepherds who are completely unworthy of this message. And everybody knows it. But the angel says, hey, this is a message of great joy for all people, all people. Shows this message isn't just for the people trying their best to be good, righteous people, but also for the unclean and the sinners and the defeated and for those that think they're way too messed up to be loved by God or to be in a relationship with God. It's for them as well. That to them is born a savior who is Messiah the Lord and he has come to make all things right. And throughout the life of Jesus, we see this uh, theme consistently happen, where Jesus explicitly says that he has come to seek and to save the lost of this world, not those that find themselves to be righteous, but those that know that they're lost. And so he spends time with sinners, he spends time with prostitutes, he spends time with tax collectors, he hangs out with the rejects, and the failures and the addicts. Why? Because these people are in need and they know it. Right? They understand their need and their need creates a receptivity to the character of Jesus and his message. And so when they're confronted by Jesus and his message of salvation, they hear it and they know they need it. And so they respond with the fullness and say, I believe that. 
and through it they know salvation and are given life. Even though their time on earth has been filled with brokenness, here now is a message that changes everything. And you are qualified to hear it, not because of your station in life, not because you're wealthy or smart, or qualified in any way, but simply because you're loved by God. And his message is salvation for all people. And that's why the angel comes to the shepherds and not the priests, because it represents all people. And the message is this, and Luke 2, 11 says, Today, a savior who is Messiah the Lord was born for you in the city of David, all right? So today, this is happening right now. This is real life. This is really going on, that a savior is born to you. Now, the shepherds could not fully understand the concept of what this meant, this role of savior, but he was saying that this child was to be the deliverer from all evil, both of sin and sorrow, and the bringer of salvation and peace and restoration for the whole world. And he calls him Messiah, which is not a name, it's a title. It's the same word for Christ, they mean the same thing. They both mean anointed one. And this meant that this child was the very one who God had promised centuries ago that he would send to save Israel, rescue her from her enemies, and establish her as a nation. This guy is finally here in the form of a baby. And finally, angel says he's the Lord, revealing that this child would be given authority and dominion, that he would rule, that he would change everything. And human history would be dramatically shifted forever. And this message comes to the shepherds. And the angel tells them that this child is nearby, he's in Bethlehem, tells them how to find him. He'll be the one laying in the manger, right? In the feeding trough, and he's gonna be wrapped in cloth. And look how the shepherds respond. In verse 15, it says, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. And so we see that these shepherds first respond with belief, right? They don't dismiss the message as some kind of hallucination, like, man, I really need to get out more. I've been spending all this time with this sheep and this pasture, and I'm starting to see stuff. I'm starting to see angels and the glory of the Lord. I know that it hasn't been around for 500 years, so I must be imagining this stuff, right? They believe it. They believe what they see, they believe what they hear. And then they respond with action. They decide, hey, this message is so life-altering, we can't stay here, we gotta move, right? We gotta get out, we gotta hurry. And they hurry to Bethlehem, it says. They leave their sheep behind and we see a shift in priority. When they're confronted with this incredible message, it changes everything and they have to move. They have to act and they respond to this message with action. 
And then they find the child and they repeat the message that the angels told them, saying, hey, this is what God has told us. He showed up, there's an angel, there's the glory of the Lord. I know it's true, I know it's real. And he said that this kid is supposed to be the savior. This kid is supposed to be Messiah. This kid is supposed to be the Lord. And he shares it with everyone around them. And we see that they don't keep the message to themselves but start to spread it. And when they return, they leave glorifying and praising God for what he's done. And they respond ultimately with worship and respond in all the right ways to God. So what does this story show us? Well, it shows us first that God has a message of salvation for all people, right? It's for all of us. But in order to be receptive to this message, we need to be humble. We need to be humble, because if the shepherds had any quality that qualified them to hear this message, it's that they were humble, in the sense that they knew they weren't great, but they knew that God was, right? That was their humility. They understood they had nothing, but God had everything, and they move, right? And this humility gives them a greater receptivity to God's message, because they know they needed it. So our takeaway for today is that God desires us to respond to him in humility and with worship. Humility being or realizing our need for God. Realizing that we are messed up, that we have sin in our lives, that we have made mistakes, that we've gone wrong, and that we need a savior, right? That God can make us right, that he has a message of salvation and he sent his son, the savior, the Messiah, the Lord, and he's provided a way out of that sin into a relationship with himself. Concerning humility, Jesus himself says in Luke 18 that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And what he's saying is that pride prevents us from responding to God in the right ways. It, it prevents us, it gets in the way of a relationship with God because we start to imagine and convince ourselves that we have it all. And we start to depend and rely and place our security and wealth and power and position and talent ultimately in ourselves. And we don't feel the need for God. We don't feel the need for salvation because we think that we have it all. But those that are humble, they realize their need for God and Jesus says they're exalted because or by knowing God and being in a relationship with him. That is exaltation at its finest. So when it comes to the Christmas season that we are currently in, we understand and we, we experience it year after year that there is just so much busyness, there is so much distraction involved with this season, there's so much rushing around, trying to get everything done, trying to figure out plans, and it's becoming more and more distraction away from the fact that Christmas is about God, right? It's about a savior coming to this earth, a God humbling himself and becoming man. Pew Research published some statistics on Americans celebrating Christmas and they say this, they found that 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas, all right? So a good overwhelming majority, but it says only 46% say they celebrate Christmas primarily as a religious holiday. 
meaning that statistics show that every year Christmas becomes more and more just a cultural thing we do, right? We come together, we exchange gifts, we eat a good meal, we drink some eggnog, we go home, right? That's the end. And so there's less and less of the spiritual element and there's less recognition that Christmas is about God at all. So as we approach Christmas, I just encourage you that you'd use this season to draw closer to God, right? You'd see it as special, you'd see it as unique, you'd see it as a holy time. And to do this, draw closer to God by cultivating humility within yourself so that you would have a greater receptivity to God's message. And so you might be asking Ben, like, how do I know like I'm humble? Like, is there like indication? Like, is there a sign? Like, can we just look at people and be like, oh yeah, that guy's super humble, that guy's not humble at all. Is there a way to do it? Well, the simple way is to just ask your wife and then she'll say no. And then we'll move on from there. All right, here's some, some ways in which humility is cultivated in the life of a believer, anyone can do this, but I'm gonna tell you the path that humility takes inside of us. Number one, it starts in the heart. All right, it begins here. Because here is where we have our biggest source of worship. And there's two options. And the natural one is that we worship ourselves. Right, we place ourselves at the center of our lives. We are our number one priority. We are concerned with our needs first and foremost. We're concerned with us. And we need to shift this off of self-worship and onto God-worship, where God and the things of God and the character of God consume our thoughts. They are our center, they are our focus. And we worship God with the heart that he's given us. And in this, we are transformed by God's love that we experience through a relationship with him. And it creates a desire to love and serve others. Right, it starts in the heart and then it moves and it develops in the mind. It changes the way we think about ourselves and those around us. As we gradually more and more begin to understand the character of God and his ability to change our life. Right, his ability to change everyone's life, that his message is for everyone. We begin to see this, and so we begin to see everybody as valuable to God, because everybody is created by him, and he desires everyone to come to know him. It makes it way harder to lose your cool in traffic or in line or just anywhere when you understand that the person next to you is loved by God just as much as he loves you. And then third, it shows in the hands. It shows by how we live in our actions, how we serve others, whether that's at work or at home or here at the Ridge. Are we really truly putting others' needs above our own? Or are we simply looking out for our own? It shows in how you treat people. So my hope is that you truly do respond to God's message just as the shepherds did, right? With humility and with action and with worship. Worshiping God for the fact that he sent his son as salvation to this earth. And that you would take action and that you would share this message of hope, that you wouldn't keep it to yourself, but you'd tell people, right? At the end of uh, this month, we have several Christmas services going down. And that'd be a great place to start. That you just think of one person, a few people that need to hear this message that you'd share it with them. 
and bring them here and see how they respond. That's all I got for us. I'm gonna pray and we can be done. Father God, we thank you so much for the fact that you sent your son, that he was born as a baby, he came down to earth, and that shows your humility that you would even become a man, that you would make yourself vulnerable to the things of this world, that you suffered, that you died, Then it started with you becoming a baby. And you revealed this message of your birth to shepherds in a field instead of priests in a temple, that you came to those that were humble, and they responded in a way that gives us an example of how to respond ourselves. And I just pray that this season that we'd all just respond to your message, that you would cultivate humility inside of us and that would show uh, and that we would be built up more and more into the likeness of your son. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.